Well, I've succeeded on two fronts. Uh, helped Raul to learn some hymns. You know, he was raised in a very different faith tradition and didn't become a Christian until he was a young adult. So uh, those of us who grew up with, uh, with uh, so many familiar songs, they're all new to him. And I've also uh, helped him to sing the high notes. So uh, <laughs> you got that one, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. <clears throat> Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 4. Last couple of weeks I've been uh, doing the last landscaping project of the summer, which was building a a little fenced-in spot to put my garbage and recycling containers so they aren't just sitting by the front of the house. And as part of that, I needed to reshape this one little corner of the lawn where I've cut down a... Between my house and the neighbor, I'm not sure if it's our bushes or theirs. I think it's theirs, but I cut down a cut down a big piece of this tremendously overgrown shrub, but there was a big old stump up there. I tried to hire somebody younger and stronger. Where is he? But he uh, refused to answer the phone. So I had to to dig it out myself. And uh, I, uh, I succeeded. Uh... It took a shovel, a reciprocating saw, a skill saw, an axe, and a pry bar. But I succeeded. Oh, yes, there is the thrill of victory right here, folks. I had, in the middle of that, I had to make a trip to the uh, Ace Hardware to buy, they have a special blade for the reciprocating saw that's meant for that kind of stuff, and... Uh, Wow, that's uh, that's a life changer. I don't even like to think about jobs like that. You know, you look at that thing sticking out of your lawn and you think, boy, I wish that wasn't there. I think, who can I call to get that out? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just a little too cheap or poor to, to really hire a, a professional and uh, my usual slave wouldn't do it. So I am look at that and say, just going to have to start and see where it goes. Start digging, start cutting, start digging, start cutting. And uh, just keep on until you're holding that thing in your hand with the thrill of victory. This month, we're talking about the mission of making disciples. And I don't know about you, but increasingly, when I look at the unsaved world around me, people who do not know the Lord... It looks like a huge job to bring somebody to faith in Christ and to see them become a, a, a strong disciple. And the, the comparison that I want to bring today to my, to my little job and challenge you with is it takes a lot of tools. It takes a lot of different activities. And I want to challenge you today with, with this thought, uh, 15 ways to participate in God's mission. I know you're all gasping because I'm going to have 15 points to my sermon, but I'm going to go fast over a few of them and slow on a few. But I, I, I just, as I started thinking about this, I thought, you know, there, there, this is a multifaceted job. 
And, uh, you know, some of us will be participating more in some of these ways than others. But I really do want to challenge you as we begin to think about mission to say, uh, to look at these 15 ways to be involved and say, God, how can I do more to make disciples? Follow as I read uh, a great, uh, wonderful story from John chapter 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, John the Baptist, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Joseph, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Do you know that's the most open He ever was? To this Samaritan woman, he said, I'm the guy you're talking about. At this point, the disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. But nobody said, what do you seek, or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water pot and went on her way to the city and said to the men in the city, obviously her circle of influence, come and see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city, and they came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. 
But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has somebody brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, said to them, my food, the thing that nourishes me, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Fifteen ways to participate in God's harvest. That's what he talked to his disciples about. He said, guys, lift up your eyes and look. There's all kinds of of harvest of souls available right now. The first way that we ought to participate in God's harvest is through worship. And I'm going to say something that's going, to, that, that's going to shock some of you, but I hope you'll listen all the way till the end. God's goal is not to keep people out of hell. God's goal is not to keep people out of hell. God's goal is to gather worshipers. God is seeking people to worship himself. This was one of the central messages. He said, look, it's not about where you're at. It's about what you're doing. God is seeking people to worship himself. Saving us from hell is the wonderful byproduct of saving us to worship. God wants you to reach out from others from a heart that is worshiping. Listen to how it went when Jesus called the disciples to come be his apostles, if you will. He called these men to come be his disciples and then apostles. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You remember, they're they're literally fishing. And he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now it's entirely possible at this time they'd had some exposure to him and to, you know, maybe there'd been some interaction, but not a lot. And so at a point, though, he, he, it would seem that he knew them and uh, they knew him to some extent. And he comes along and he says, come follow me. Now, he was asking them to literally walk this way. I mean, get in behind. Here's where we're going. He wasn't saying, now, have your devotions when you go home tonight. He was saying, come on and follow me. What did they do? They immediately left their nets and followed him. Boom. We're done fishing. We're following Jesus now. That's indicative of a heart committed to walking with God, a heart committed to worshiping God. If outreach is hard for you, it could be an indicator that it's just a hard endeavor, but it could also be an indicator that you're still in possession of your heart. I mean, for these, for these men to, to literally leave their livelihood and follow Jesus, what kind of a faith decision is that? I mean, how am I going to eat? How's my family going to eat? They had families. They immediately left their nets and followed him. If we're going to reach Ferndale, if we're going to reach out to India or Bellingham or wherever, it's going to come from a worshiping heart, a heart that realizes Jesus died for my sins. 
I have been saved eternally. Now what can I do to show my thanks to God and to help others know Him? Once you've given your heart to God, the result should be winsome living. Winsome. Word we don't use a terrible lot, but it means, it means to, have, to, be, to be pleasant, to be um, desirable in a, in, a, in a positive kind of way. In this example from John chapter 4, Jesus bridged two cultural divides to speak to this woman. And the woman knew it because she said, why are you talking to me? And then she said, a Samaritan woman. She, she could have just said a woman. She could have just said a Samaritan. But she said, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. The Jews thought very poorly, and that's putting it kindly, of the Samaritans. The Samaritan people, the people of the area of Samaria, were the descendants of those uh, Jewish people who intermarried with non-Jewish people after, uh, as part of and after the, the exile out to Babylon. And they developed sort of a parallel worship system that was similar to Judaism, but different. And so the Jews, the Jews already had a problem in the Old Testament. And please understand, I'm not indicting every Jewish person today. I'm not doing that at all. I'm talking about the history of the Jewish people in the Old Testament era. They took some of the things God said and went beyond what he said and, and came to a point of arrogance. We are God's chosen people. And they literally called other people, the, the non-Jewish folks, they called them dogs. That's how they thought of them. Now today in, in our society, American society, that's not an insult anymore. But it was back then. They called them dogs. And so the normal Jewish person in the day of Jesus would not have even spoken to the Samaritan woman because she was a Samaritan, but also because she was a woman. The men in that era and the, the culture in that era, some men are great, women are nothing. They're like possessions. They're, they're, they talked as though women didn't have intelligence and, and all kinds of misogynist attitudes. And I hope you notice at the beginning of John chapter 4, it said Jesus needed, excuse me, it's, chap, it's uh, verse 4. He needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go there. You know the way that, if you look at the geography, the, uh, the normal way, if you were traveling from south to north, you would go like this as a Jewish person. You'd come up and you'd go around Samaria. You wouldn't go there. You wouldn't even walk through their territory. Jesus needed to go to Samaria because he wanted to love this woman and this town and bring them to faith. Jesus bridged two cultural divides to talk to this woman, to reach out to her, and, and untold people were saved by that. We're familiar with this, this verse right here. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, right? You, you, that's really familiar to most Christians. Do you know what comes after it? Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God. Give no offense. Now, I understand there are doctrinal offenses that will be given. Uh, in fact, um, 
Nope, it's not this verse. It's another verse that says that, you know, it talks about the offense of the cross. When we speak about salvation in Christ, that he died for us, that we can't save ourselves, some people are offended by that message. I get that, and you know I'm willing to speak that. But Paul is now talking about things outside of our message, beyond the message. And he says, give no offense Do the people you interact with on a regular basis like you? Does everybody have to like me? Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit or blessing or benefit, but I seek the blessing of many that they may be saved. Are you telling me we have to live in such a loving, kindly way that people like us everywhere we go? Whoa, there's a tall order. When people drive down this street, if they know you come here, what do they think? Uh, you know, I am keenly aware of this because I'm the guy that stands up here. And the, the most grievous thought I can think of is that I went to a store and acted less than godly and then somebody just providentially walked into church and they looked up at me and thought, you? It's happened to me before that somebody in church came and said, what's that person doing here? If you were the sole advertisement for faith in Christ, would the people in your world want to know him? Believe me, that challenges me as much as I hope it's challenging you right now. It's really easy. I mean, the Apostle Paul puts his finger right on it. Um, are we going to bless others or seek our own agenda. You know, when I get up on Monday mornings, most Monday mornings, I have my own agenda. It is my day off. Is that the same as God's agenda? Now, there are some things that we have started to do as a church to try to be winsome, if you will. Uh, we just completed one of them. The, the school supply drive. We said, hey, would you come and bring stuff so, we can, so kids can have supplies for school? Uh, one of the results of school funding challenges is that there's an increasing amount of stuff needed for a kid to take to school. Now, some of you, I can guarantee right now, are thinking they aren't spending those tax dollars very good. And I agree. I agree. Kevin? Kevin sits on the school board. How many of you, raise your hand, Kevin. I'm putting you on the spot. How many of you know he's on the school board? Okay. He has to look those people in the eye up on the hill and see their attitude about our church. And so if we can put a few bucks into school supplies and communicate to those folks, hey, we love you. We don't really like the way you're spending money, but we love you. Do you understand the importance of that? 
It also needs to say something about how we talk about the school district or any school district or any municipal agency. A few weeks ago, uh, Kim and the youth group and some other adults fed hot dog lunch to the workers working on the street. And when I said, hey, this is a great idea, I was sitting out there eating a hot dog, I thought, this is a great idea. And she, <laughs> and you won't mind if I tell why, will you? I love it because it, it really brings us all together. She said, this is out of my frustration. I said, oh, how's that? I'm driving down the street and I'm mad because I can't drive down the street because they're taking so long to fix the darn street. And I'm mad at these people. And so somehow the Lord prompted her to say, you should pray for the people you're mad at. It's in Matthew chapter 5, right? So she started praying, and the Lord said, you need to do something for these people. And so they went and told them on a Wednesday, hey, on Friday, we're going to cook lunch for you. Come over here and get it. And boy, they were just appreciative of that. You can imagine there might be a couple people in Ferndale that have been upset with them. (laughs) Maybe we're the only people that did something nice for them. That is the kind of business we need to be in with the goal, with the goal of discipleship. That's what you're doing at the mission, Ron. Isn't that right? You don't approve of the way those people spend their money, your guests, but you're, you're loving them with a goal to see that 90 to 100 of them get saved every year. Winsome living. We're going to have a parking lot party on October 31st. It is not a Halloween party. It is on Halloween. We don't like Halloween. But we need to love our neighbors. Do you know what what surprised me? The first night we did this, four years ago or whenever it was, people came and said, thank you for providing this safe opportunity for us to do something with our kids. And I went, oh, they really think we're doing them a favor. That's winsome living. Of course, we're going to hand out some literature and sing some gospel music. And, you know, we're going to do a few other things, too, along the way. We have a so-and-so group that is gradually grabbing, a, a getting a hold of, a, of, real, of this winsome living by making blankets for a shut-in, a person who has to go to the rest home, by, by making hats for cancer patients who lose their hair and we give them to the Cancer Society, um, uh, by making blankets that are taken to the Whatcom Crisis Pregnancy Center and given to women who don't abort their babies. Many of us volunteer in various community organizations And we need to be practicing winsome living. We need to be on our best behavior out of love for Christ and love for the unsaved. And we need to consider our words and our actions and saying, oh God, help me to be a great advertisement for you. It is an important part of bringing people to Christ. Right along with that, Winsome living is weakness allowing. Why was Jesus at the well? Why was he at the well? He was thirsty. Couldn't Jesus have done something about that? (laughs) I mean, 
isn't he the one, if we understand the whole Old Testament correctly, that made the water come out of the, out of the rock? He was the water that came out of the rock. Couldn't he have done something about that? They were, he was thirsty, and the disciples had to walk into town to buy food to feed him. Couldn't he have done something about that? But he allowed himself to live in weakness so that that woman would come and he'd say, would you give me a drink? The Apostle Paul talked about living in weakness. We are hard-pressed on every side. Hard-pressed, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up us with Jesus and present us with you. For all things, again, here it is, all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. The Apostle Paul said, I endure a lot of physical difficulties and, and, and personal and spiritual difficulties for your sake. Most of you don't know um, a senior member of our church named Al Pulling. Al Pulling has been shut in for several years, literally not leaving his house. Uh, I don't even know if he gets out for doctor appointments. He's He's been on and off hospice care a couple of times. He's on hospice care now. He has lots of pain. Uh, He doesn't sleep well. He often feels like, as does his wife, that he's on the brink of death. But, <laughs> and, and, and I got to tell you, every once in a while, somebody that's related to me says, boy, Al's not doing very good, and I think, I better get over there and visit, because he's going to die tomorrow. And he might be dying. But when I go to visit, they get a chair, him and Joyce, and they say, what's going on at the church? And how's this? And how's that? Oh, you know, we got our neighbor over here. We're having a Bible study with him. And this gal here, she doesn't know the Lord, but we're working on her. And oh, these people are so nice. They help us out and so on. And, and he's positive. And he says, I just don't know why the Lord leaves me here. <laughs> I know, because you have a better testimony than some of the people walking around with two good legs. And I tell him that entirely possible that the fruit from his testimony won't come till after he's gone but he is rejoicing in the lord through his difficulty given a witness of the lord most of you remember rod brudwick marianne's husband who suffered with brain cancer for a year before going to meet the lord and he gave a positive testimony of christ to everyone he met for that year he prayed for healing. He told me, I'm praying for healing, but above all, I want to be used by God in any way possible. And so when he went to the doctor and, and he had a good report, he told the doctor why that good report was coming, so on and so forth. When you go to the doctor, what are you most concerned about? Are you willing to live in weakness so that Christ might shine through? That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I'm happy to be weak because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The Lord shows through. 
Number four, weeping for the unsaved. Jesus saw this woman in John chapter 4. He saw her life from beginning to end. Now, we don't, we don't have that supernatural vision. We can't just walk up and meet somebody and go, wow, your life is really in ruins. But sometimes it doesn't take very long. And sometimes it takes a while. We get to know people. But here's the thing that I want to challenge you with. He saw her life from beginning to end, and how did he respond to her immorality? How did he respond to her mixed race condition that, that uh, was, was ungodly in its origin, not necessarily with her personally, but certainly with the group of people? Was he angry at her over her rebellion against the Father's will? No. Did he look down on her for her lack of willpower? No. Did he think she was hopelessly warped? Nope. His attitude, I think, is summarized in this statement that as he rode into Jerusalem on that last week and he looked at the city the last week before his life, he said he saw the city and he wept over it. I think one of the hard things for for Christians is to really get God's viewpoint on those who don't know the Lord. When I was a child, you know, my my dad was a Baptist pastor, and back in those days, there was a real strong sense of us and them. There's Christians, and there's this group, and that group, and the other group, and then there's people who don't go to any church. They're really bad, you know. And there was this real us and them thing, and I would never be one of them, but I really didn't, didn't really occur to me that they were going to go to hell. It didn't really occur to me all the difference between us and them. And then I became an adult and a pastor, and I started going to taverns as a firefighter, EMT. And then I became a chaplain and I was called to care for people in the most difficult moments of their life. And I'm just here to tell you, I have seen the results of hatred, of domestic violence, of drug addiction, of sexual sin, of alcohol abuse, of foolishness, of greed, laziness. And it's real tempting to look down on sinners. Your life is messed up. Increasingly, our society as a whole ridicules moral living and respects immorality. And Christians are sorely tempted to look at unbelievers and say, Oh, you unbelievers. We have disdain and disgust. But we need to remember something. Paul told Titus, Pastor Titus, to remember some things. And he said, remind your people. Remind your people to be subject. Could I just say, remind your people to live in a winsome manner amongst the rulers and the authorities, the government, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. 
to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and, and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appear, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. We have got to prayerfully say, Oh God, let me see the unsaved world like you see it. It is desperately hurting. You know, it's not hard for us to look at the guests at the uh, Lighthouse Mission and say, oh, those people, they got some problems. The problem is when we look at the the, the average middle-class people around us, we don't see their problems right up front so much. We've got to say, oh, God, help me to see them the way you see, to, to, to see the reality in their life and then to look with compassion to look with compassion as those who need the Lord. Once we have that compassion, we need to wield our weapons. What weapon am I talking about? I'm talking about the weapon of prayer. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You ever ask your question, ask yourself, if the majority of people in this country, according to the surveys, are opposed to abortion, why is it legal? If the majority of people, I'm not sure about the statistics on this, but I think it seemed like a pretty good amount of people are opposed to homosexual marriage, why is that legal? And we, you know, why is marijuana going to be legal? I mean, Lord have mercy. You know, we, we have all these problems resulting from alcohol. Now we're going to have all these problems resulting from marijuana. I mean, we've already had them. Now there's going to be more. And we think, why? 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 You know why? Because we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a battle going on beyond the battle that you see. There is a battle between God's forces and, and the forces of evil. There are The forces of Satan are actively working, working, working on every society in the world. That's why at the end of this passage, Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance or the ability to speak might be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Our first and foremost response to the things that we see in the world, the things that concern us, needs to be prayer. Wherever the gospel is spoken, there is spiritual battle. That's why it's so important to pray for our ministry and that of the missionaries around the world. Ron, is there spiritual warfare for your guests? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you understand that the word in the New Testament for sorcery is the word pharmacy yes 
the word translated sorcery or, or having to do with the occult and worship of the occult is the same word that we get our word pharmacy from. Because in the Greek world, drugs and the occult were connected together. Could it be that drug addiction and alcohol addiction opens up a soul to the, to the attack of Satan in a unique way? It absolutely could be. There is a battle for souls. Satan, wants, Satan does not want people to worship God. And he's doing everything he can to stop it. There's a spiritual battle going on all around us, and our response to it does not need to be to fight the culture war, but to pray that God will give victory and that souls will be saved. Prayer unleashes God's armies who fight for us and for others. The next thing we need to be do is to be watching for those whom God is calling to himself. Turn over a page to John chapter 6, please. John chapter 6 and verse 44. This is Jesus talking, and he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. As it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. I cannot explain to you the intricacies of how our desire to know God and God's calling us to himself, how that all dovetails. I cannot explain to you exactly how my responsibility to believe dovetails with God's work of drawing men in, but I know that God is drawing people to himself. The reason people seek God to begin with is because God is on the other end of that rope pulling and pulling through circumstances and through direct work in their heart. Why do people wander into a church for the first time in their life thinking, "Eh, maybe we'll give this a try? Because God is there nudging. Why do people ask Bible questions? Because something has been going on in their heart and mind and they're saying, you know, why do people listen when, when people listen? Why do they listen to you share God's truth? Because God is at work in them. I want to read you a, uh, a report from one of the missionaries that I support personally. My wife and I, uh, Bill Tate, who is a chaplain down in Seattle, serves in a hospital, serves in some emergency service agencies. Eleven years ago, I visited a patient the day before she was discharged from the hospital. That's 11 years, 2002. She was 87 years old and had taken a fall. We had a nice chat. I have not seen her again until this afternoon when I visited her. She is now 98 in her home. About two weeks ago, after inquiries and phone tag, her daughter connected with me and refreshed my memory about her mother, She informed me that her mother was doing remarkably well and that she remembered, quote, you were easy to talk with. Could I call that winsome living? Could you possibly come and see her? She wants to talk with you about her relationship with God. I was stunned. When I saw this person again, after all these years, I was so impressed with how alert and with it she was 
No one would think she's two years shy of 100. He hasn't been to Ferndale. That's middle age. She told me that as a very young child, she had attended church somewhat irregularly before she started school. This is a preschooler. Think about that. That's over 90 years ago. Other than that, she went to church once when her daughter and granddaughter were baptized, and that's it. It was so evident that the Lord had been leading, his presence felt... When I went down the Romans road, that's a way of sharing the gospel if you don't know, simply explaining God's plan of salvation, she was childlike in her eagerness to hear, quote, yes, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord, she said. I took her hands and with minimal prompting, I heard her pray and confess her need of Jesus and receive him into her heart and life. Afterwards, with a sweet smile, she spoke of peace and assurance. We often speak of God's time and God's way. Aren't we glad we don't have to fret and try to figure things out? I I have no idea how the Lord worked and brought Ethel to this point. The only thing I need to know is that he is sovereign and his grace and mercy are immeasurable. This man is always looking. He's always watching for those who are coming to the Lord, because the Lord, obviously, with this woman, he's been drawing her in with very little outside influence. Can God do that? Yes, he can. But God doesn't bring anybody to saving faith without the word or somebody to give them that word. That's us. And so we need to be watching And anytime somebody starts talking about spiritual things, our spiritual ears need to go whing. Because no man comes to the Father, no no man comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. The very fact that they're interested in spiritual things is the indicator we should be waiting for to say that person is, 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 the harvest is ripe. Watching, watching. And then working together. The church, the body of Christ, is the hub of ministry. It's what God designed. When the body of Christ gathers, the ministry is greater than the sum of its parts. Now what do I mean by that? What I mean is, uh, we've heard a a good report from, from a great work in Bellingham. We've had some great worship We've had a chance to respond by giving. We've prayed. We're learning from God's word. We had fellowship before. We'll have fellowship after. You don't get that from listening to a CD. Now, we provide CDs. We have downloads of messages. I'm for that. Don't get me wrong. But you cannot worship God in nature the same way you worship God together here The body of Christ is the hub of ministry and we need to work together because God has made a promise that somehow he is present when the body of Christ is gathered in a unique way. I can't explain that fully to you, but I see this principle. God wants to move in us and through us. And 1 Corinthians 12 says we all need each other and the unbeliever needs us. 
The unbeliever needs to come in here and see, I mean, if any place there should be winsome living, it should be here. And the unbeliever needs us. The church is God's plan for ministry. And as those unbelievers come in, we need to be aware that unbelievers come to church. And so we need to be welcoming them no matter what they look like. Receive one another just as Christ received us to the glory of God. You know that image of of justice being blind, holding the scales? Do you think God is blind in the sense that anybody who comes to believe, he says, come on. Or does he look and go, oh, oh no, you're not, you're not good enough. Oh, you're not right. Oh, look what you're wearing. Oh, look what you've done to your body. Oh, I can tell your affiliation by the way you're dressed. Oh, 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 oh. No, no. A little saying that's been around for years, the, f- the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And it needs to be level at our front doors. We need to be welcoming people the same way that God welcomed us. And, of course, we need to be witnessing. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready to give an answer. Could I just say to you that, that I, the most important thing we can be ready to do is to be ready to give an answer. To be ready to give an answer. I went to... Uh, so that organization that I volunteer with, that I go to every week, and this week, I got to pray with one fella and have a serious discussion with another one. And that doesn't happen all the time, but you know what? I'm ready. In fact, the place that I used to serve down in Seattle, when, you know, one of the sayings that people use when they see you for the first time, or when they see you coming, you know, like, hi, hello, what do you know for certain? They stopped asking that. (laughs) What do you know? Oh, that's right, that's right. (laughs) I'm ready. That's what I'm waiting for. That's what I get paid the big bucks for. That's why God saved you. To be ready. I I, I know we can't give an answer to every skeptic and critic in the world. I understand that. But you know what he particularly says? Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. This comes back to that winsome living. If you're living in a, in a positive, joyful, peaceful, godly way, people are going to notice and they're going to go, why are you so hopeful? One of the images that comes to mind here is, is my wife and I going to a particular doctor and there was the potential for a, for a serious problem. It turned out not to be so serious, but... but we are who we are and we enjoy whatever we do most of the time even going to the doctor and talking about something serious and i could tell this doctor's going what in the world is wrong with you guys he was enjoying our enjoyment he didn't ask why is there hope in you but if he had i'd have been ready are you ready to give an answer is your life winsome are you ready to give an answer could I, could I tell you why I'm hopeful? Could I tell you why I'm not anxious or worried about this? And ultimately, we need to share the details of the gospel. At some point, we, we have to say, look, 
Could I tell you how you could be certain about going to heaven? Could I tell you about how to have God in your life so you could start to work on these things and become hopeful like I am? And we need to be ready to share the gospel. Friends, if you don't know the gospel facts well enough to, set, to tell them to somebody else, you've got to question your own salvation. Because what are you trusting in? You're trusting in something, and that thing that you're trusting is what other people need to hear. And so we need to be ready to share. Number 10, weariness. Hmm, boy, I don't like preaching this one. How did the Apostle Paul accomplish so many great things? <laughs> Through weariness, in weariness and toil. I don't like that. In sleeplessness, I really don't like that. In hunger and thirst, not even on my list. In fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Now, I do know, and in the Bible, when they talked about nakedness, sometimes it meant like not having your clothes, but you still had a thing, we would call it underwear. Could have been naked in prison. They might have just took all of his clothes. That's entirely possible. How did the Apostle Paul accomplish so many great things? He didn't have an advance team. He didn't have people running around setting up meetings and making hotel reservations and plane and or you know mule cart reservations or whatever for him. I mean, he just flat worked hard. Uh, one of our elders there, Jim Hively, spoke at Camp uh, Gilead for a week. And, and when he came home, I just said, hey, what, you know, what did you see? You, what was your impression? He said, man, it takes a lot of work to put on a week of camp. A lot of work. You know, we get to hear the kids line up here and give their testimony. But, of course, this year, a number of those young people are working out there at camp. Uh, Andrew, is it a lot of work at camp? Do you get tired? How many days did it take you to catch up on your sleep when you got home? <laughs> it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of work and of course it took a lot of work for jim hively because in one week he delivered 11 of these addresses yeah and i i've done that maybe once or twice in my ministry and i know it takes a whale of a lot of work ahead of time Serving in the nursery is work. You know what? Uh, our people who plan Awana have told me this. We need one nursery worker during Awana club nights because if we can get one nursery worker, we have five moms who want to serve in Awana. Now, you want to multiply your ministry? Come sit in that nursery, take care of those kids. Let those moms come and deal with the other kids. But it's work. It's work. If you're waiting for a ministry that doesn't take effort, you're not going to serve the Lord too much. It's work. Watering. The term watering in terms of discipleship comes from this passage right here. Who then is Paul? Who's Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed and the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Now, this is sort of a summary of a, of a concept. 
And the Apostle Paul is basically saying this. We might just put it this way. The first time somebody hears the gospel, it's because somebody was out there scattering the seed of the gospel, as Jesus said. So, you know, I preach the gospel. You know, maybe there's somebody here who's never believed in Christ. And I say today, Jesus Christ died for your sins, and you are a sinner, and you need to believe in that. And if you do, God will forgive your sins. I, I've just, in, in less than 30 seconds, given you the nutshell of the gospel. But that's the beginning of the process. And it is a process. Because what has to happen from there, most of the time, is people have questions about the Bible and they have questions about life. And it's not because they're a skeptic or a hater. It's because they're trying to say, how does this all work? And along comes people, a series of people, to water the seed. I just put down some grass seed, a little little spot that I've rehabbed in my lawn there as part of this project. And I'm going to water it and I'm going to water it. Putting the seed out is good. It needs to happen. But without the water, the seed dries up and dies. And so watering. Watering can include explaining God's truth as it relates to the gospel. It can include communicating historical information about the existence of Jesus, people of the Bible. It it most certainly includes giving a testimony of the positive impact of faith in Christ. It includes urging people to believe. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul said, I persuade people. I persuade people. Sue and I were in a a restaurant recently, and right close to us was a person wearing an arm sling indicative of shoulder surgery. And uh, I learned that when I was wearing one of those, everybody else who's had shoulder surgery talks to you. And so I thought, well, talk to this person. Hey, what, you know... so she told us her story, and, and uh, I talked about mine. And, 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 of course, you always give a little advice. Well, you know, this and that, and you've got to do the therapy and whatever. I know that you always have to give advice anytime you mention an illness because you all do that to me. <laughs> Could I suggest something about watering the seed of the gospel? Do you ever give advice When you find somebody mired down in sin? Do you ever look over at them? I mean, if if it were possible in that restaurant to look over at that person and they had a big label on that said, I'm stuck in. If that were true at that moment, would you say, hey, you know, Jesus has the answer to that. I had one of those yesterday at McDonald's. I really, I did not enter into the conversation. I, we we bantered about children and grandchildren and some of that, and and there came a point at which I should have said, "With Jesus, the future is much more certain for your children." I should have said something like that. But you know what? I envisioned this older worker lady. She's going to argue with me. And these people here, they might get offended. You see what I'm saying? We need to, God, give us courage to just water that seed. Christ could help you with that. Could I help you understand that? Like Philip talking to the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you understand what you're reading? I'd love to help you understand what's going on. Oh God, help us. Help us to water the seed. 
And then wealth sharing. Uh, you know, we always talk about giving to the Lord's work, and we're going to talk about it this month. If you don't like that kind of talk, you need to come back in a month to church. Um, but you know why I'm going to talk about it? This is why I'm going to talk about it right here. The Apostle Paul communicating back to the church of Philippi, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. This is his thank you note. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Now here's why I talk about giving. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Where'd my friend's letter go? I just read that letter about my my friend witnessing to that woman and leading her to Christ. Some of that fruit's going to my account. Because I'm supporting that guy. Where's your money going? Where's the fruit? You can give... And some homeless person is going to become a disciple of Christ and a productive citizen. How cool is that? You look at those people on the side of the road and you're thinking, boy, I wish I could do something for them. You can. You can give to the mission. You can give to all kinds of things. You can give to our work because we're actively trying to help people know Christ as Savior. Sharing your wealth. Number 13, walking. Walking to other places. Had to have a W. Could have said going. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth. When the apostle, uh, uh, when Luke writes this scripture by God's inspiration, those four places he mentioned correlate to something beyond just geography. Jerusalem was the hometown. That's where they were. Jesus said, you're going to be a witness to me right here in your hometown. Then he says, Judea. Judea would be like saying the county, really geographically in Israel, it would correspond to that amount of territory, the county. We could, you know, here we, we tend to think of sort of western Whatcom County, um, as our mission field, um, you know, whatever, whatever space along that line. And then he talks about Samaria, the same thing we read about in John 4. The key in Samaria is he says, you're going to be a witness to me across cultures to people you might not like. I don't know what kind of people you really struggle with, People of different political persuasion, people of different moral persuasion, people who dress a certain way or live a certain way, whatever it is. But God has said to us, we need to be witnesses to everybody, including those that we don't like that much. And then, of course, the ends of the earth. Just Can you imagine in that day how it must have sounded to somebody who lived all their life in one town to hear God say, you have a responsibility to witness to me everywhere in the world. Now today, we can imagine jumping on a plane and flying halfway around the world. It's, it's uh, somewhat tiring to do so and expensive, but we can, we can easily imagine that. But in that day, that was like, what? That was, that was wild and crazy to them. 
I know that God's not going to call all of us to go to India or Spain or maybe, maybe Hawaii. I don't know. <laughs> he hasn't called very many people to Hawaii because the condition of the Christian church there is not real strong. But somehow our mentality needs to be here, here, there, and everywhere. And we need to be praying that way, thinking that way. And, and, and just even as we go through our life, you know, uh, increasingly we're becoming a cosmopolitan country and this little corner of the country is going to hold out a lot longer than other parts of the country, I'm sure. But it's coming. And so as you walk through your day, is there an us and them? Or is there just, hey, the Lord loves you like... He's loved me. Walking to other places. Word, teaching. Here's Paul's job description for the church, for pastors, for all of those who influence others. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We need to, our active ministry of, of giving each other biblical education through our church is important to the whole ministry of witnessing as well and then the last one here you you didn't think i'd make it but i did or maybe i didn't think you'd make it but we did without end therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord this comes at the conclusion of a chapter on the resurrection your nest will become empty if it's not empty already, but you should never run out of spiritual children to mentor. You might retire from your job, but not from making disciples. You might not be able to work on the building. We've got two building projects going on right now. You might not be able to do that, but you can work on people. You don't retire from serving the Lord. Last night, Sue and I attended the 50th birthday party of a friend who I met when he was in high school. He had been attending our youth group, and one day I pulled all my courage together, and I said, I'm just going to go out and witness to this guy and tell him he needs to believe in the Lord. And, and so I went out and said, you need to believe in the Lord. And he said, okay. <laughs> and I don't know who was more surprised, him or me. <laughs> he came to faith in Christ. Married a godly woman, raised a godly family, been serving the Lord faithfully ever since. Other than raising my own family to know the Lord, I can't think of anything better I've ever done. Jesus has commanded us to reach the world, and the world desperately needs him, and we are the link between it and him.